you get a, a month's notice with, with Tammy at least, least. Um, so I've been studying this for a while and just thinking through what it is that the Lord is doing now in, in this day and age. And um, Pastor, you've been speaking on the valley for the past couple of weeks. Um, and and I, you know, I came to realize that, that really life is a, a series of, of valleys and, and mountains. You know, we just go through it. We, we, we climb down, we climb up, we climb back down. Um, and as we just go through life, we are searching for God. And, and he sends us where we need to be at a particular time. And, and the valley uh, is representing the, the times when you are, I don't say away from God, but, but probably the furthest that you're going to be um, because he's everywhere, but the furthest you're going to be from the, the presence being just right there, manifest, and, and touching you in new and, and strange ways. And, and those times are, are tough. And, and we prepare ourselves uh, from coming down the mountain. We prepare ourselves so that we can minister to the people. And we're going to read some scriptures about this and, and how it manifested in, um, in the Bible. But, but as I'm, I was thinking about you know, what it is that we're going through today uh, in this day and age and, and the valley that, that the world is in right now and, and how the people want to be separated from God. They, they don't want to be told what to do. They're, we're, we're fighting against truth. We're fighting against um, love and loving one another in the, the most simplest ways. Um, but as, as we go through all of this, you know, there's, there's the concept of climbing the mountain, and, and that's really what we'll, we'll be talking about this morning. My, the title of my sermon is Mountain Climbing, um, but, but really it's about knowing God and, and getting to the place where you can visit with him and he can visit with you. And, and so again, the, the valley is, is this place where we have to live and dwell um, in order to be with the people. And, and there are times when, like Moses, we want to climb the mountain. Uh, we want to be with God. And, and we, we vacillate between the two, not, not because we necessarily want to be away from God, but because we have to come down every once in a while from our high horse, if you will. Um, but, but it is a theme that, um, that even back then existed of wanting to be at the mountain, uh, we're going to start here in Joshua chapter 14. This, this lighting creates such a somber mood. I like it. It's so, so quiet. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the Kezanite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses. While the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now 
Lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Such a young man. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war, both to go out and to come in. Verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spoke in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. We've heard this passage before. Uh, it was a, a theme of one of our, our uh, national seminars where we went out and, and spoke to um, you know, people who, one of our saints' churches and, and people groups. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. It's, it's something that Caleb said to Joshua in, in saying that, look, I, I fought for the Lord. Uh, I've been in this place and, and living for God. Uh, there were people that were with me who were afraid in those times who, who really, went, the Bible says they melted. They, they rushed away from all these things because they were afraid of the, the battle that had to ensue in order for them to be in that place. And he said, it wasn't me. That wasn't me. I stayed where I needed to be. I fought for the Lord because uh, I knew that this was going to be important. Um, and, and I've been waiting five years for me to come back and say, hey, look, now's the time. I want this thing, so give me this mountain uh, that the Lord spoke of on that day. And, and so he blesses him, and he gives him even more of an inheritance, um, and, and Caleb is then able, able to move on and, and gain the thing that he wanted the most, which was the mountain. Here, the mountain represents a high place. It represents a, a place of power, a place of authority. It represents, um, in, in military speak, those high places are the places that you want to be. Looking down on your enemies, uh, being able to, to protect and preserve a high place is, is one of the best things that you can do. And, and so from a, from a standpoint of just living in the natural, Caleb understands that this is the place that I want to be. I fought hard for this place. I want to be at this mountain. Spiritually speaking, also talks about a place of power and authority uh, we're going to read a couple of scriptures about that here in a second. But Caleb understood what he wanted. He wanted this mountain. But, but it is clear from this scripture that to climb the mountain was going to be hard. That to climb and to get to the place where he wanted to be was difficult. It took him five years. It took him five years of, of toiling, of spying, of, of going into battle. Um, he understood that there was a cost associated with that mountain. But before we get into that, again, I want to read a couple of scriptures about it's the, the power and authority spiritually that the mountain brings. In, in Matthew 4, 8, the Bible says, and again, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed Jesus, him, all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So we see here 
in this passage that, that the devil takes him up to the high mountain to see the expanse of the world. Again, a, a position, a place of great authority, of being able to see everything around you. Matthew 5.1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We see Jesus many, many, many times in Scripture going to a mountain, climbing up in order to establish teaching, to establish healing. Healing, Matthew 8, verse 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The Bible goes on to say, I do will. I, I want you to be clean, and he heals him right then and there. So again, the mountain being a place of, of establishment, of authority, of power. Last one, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. So we see healing. We see teaching we see establishing of authority and commissioning and power and, and putting people where they need to be the mountain is where you went to go and meet with god so it's where we want to be we, we freely admit that we know that being here in this valley it's, it's difficult there's 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 things to accomplish in the valley but at the end of the day we want to be in the mountain we want to be climbing this mountain um, I'm going to go through three different stories about the mountain and, and the people that went to a mountain for a very particular purpose. And we're going to start here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, because I want us to look at the cost of the mountain. Exodus 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I love this story. It, it's it's Moses' first encounter with the Lord, with God. He's He's come out from Egypt, having killed um, one of the slave drivers. He has escaped. He's now living with his father-in-law, Jethro, and, and his wife, and, and he is tending the flock. And, and from this, this place of him being a baby, being separated by God and saved from the massacre of the children, and, and being put in a place where... Um, he had authority as a, a prince of Egypt um, to then now be uh, taking care of sheep um, that were not really his own sheep, but, but living with his wife and his father-in-law, 
and, and just doing what he was asked of him. It's a simple life. He came from a place where, where he could have had it all. He was taken care of. He had money. He had prestige. He had authority. He had influence. And, and all of that was taken away by his fear, um, ran away to a place where he could just dwell um, where God wanted him to be, uh, but dwell just in the valley with his people. And, and so you see Moses here in this instance, um, having got to a place where he is humble, where, where he's not worried about all those things that happened before. He's just trying to live his life now. And he gets to um, sheep herding, and one of the sheep goes away. So he follows it. He follows it to go and bring it back to, um, to the flock. And, and he finds the sheep in a mountain. And so he starts to climb this mountain. Uh, I was watching a documentary the other day about um, mountain climbing goats. And it was fascinating to see these mountain climbing goats and, and just the way that their feet work and, and how um, they, they will climb the steepest, steepest, I don't even call it a mountain, but just walls. They will climb straight-looking walls. Um, so you see these tiny little cracks and, and fissures in the wall, and, and these goats are just kind of going up there and, and finding purchase somehow with their, with their tiny hooves and feet. And, and the way that their hooves are made um, just are perfect for this kind of thing. But you look, you, while you're watching this documentary, and it, I promise you, it was a vertical wall. I don't know how they saw any sort of slope in this thing, but, but it's this vertical-looking wall, and these goats are just climbing, and they're going up, and then you see some, and, and it's very precarious, but you see some start to slip, and they fall a little bit, um, but, but you don't hear any bleeding, B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G. You don't hear them crying or anything like that. You just, you just see them go down a little bit. They find some purchase again, and they, they start climbing up. And, and so the documentary is zoomed in on this one goat, and all of a sudden, it starts to pull back. And you see just this, this huge mountain or wall. And there's thousands or hundreds of these goats just kind of splayed around on this thing. And I'm thinking, I thought it was just one guy who was really good at climbing. But no, they were all just great at climbing. And they're all on this thing. And, and they're finding um, a particular food source on that wall. I, I don't want to call it a mountain because that particular thing was not a mountain. Um, but they're finding, you know, the, the grass that they eat and the grubs and the insects that they eat there. So I'm, I'm, I think about that when, when I hear about the mountain. Because mountains in the natural take many shapes and forms. Um, you know, a large hill for some is a mountain. I, I, I've gone hiking before um, when, I, when I traveled for Omnitracks and, and wanted just to go on a walk. I'd go hiking and, and so there's, there's trails that you can find that are easy to kind of get to. By this time here, Moses didn't have trails that people were traversing. He had to go and climb the mountain and create those trails. These goats, these, these sheep, they create the trails as they go and, and search for food and, and try to find the best morsels. They're going to these places, and their feet are trampling these trails for the very first time. So, so this particular sheep, as he's lost, I don't want to say he's lost, really, because God probably called the sheep. But, but as he's walking and he's finding these things, it, it's probably something that was off the beaten path. It was not something that Moses had ever done before or this sheep had ever done before. 
it was following the call of God and going someplace. And so Moses was following the sheep. And, and I guarantee you that it was probably not a stable journey. And, and so Moses, in, in his Nike sandals, was walking on this mountain through rocks and, and having to climb on stuff and move around the sheep's feet, its, its hooves, were probably more prepared for this journey than Moses was. It, it was a precarious journey, but he's going. He's, he's following this thing, and he finally gets to a place um, behind. The Bible says the backside of the desert came up to the mountain of God, Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appears to him in a bush. So he sees this bush, and it's burning. And, and if you've ever seen fire, many of you have, if you've ever seen fire and something being consumed, you recognize the signs of consumption. You recognize when, when fire starts to burn the wood, starts to burn the leaves. You hear that crackling sound. You smell the smoke. So, so he's looking at this thing, and the thing that, that, that Moses noticed first was that the, the bush was not consumed, that it was still alive. Now, when you think about the desert, you think about dryness, right? You think about lack of water, lack of moisture, lack of life. For something like a bush in the desert to be burning, man, they just go up in flames. They go up quick. I, I spoke uh, a couple weeks ago um, and, and told you all that Kelly and I took the girls to Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and, and just cabin in the woods, off to be by ourselves, play games, let them walk around and, and run around in streams, away from people, just kind of be by ourselves. And um, we, it rained a lot. And I told you, I gave you a testimony that, that as much as it rained, we were not prevented from having any fun, that we just had a great time and, and we were able to do all the things that we wanted to do. And then when we were done doing those things, then the rain would come and we really thanked the Lord for that. But the rain brought with it water, <laughs> moisture, and, and it really just wet everything. Everything was really wet. And the girls enjoyed it, going outside and playing in the rain in the water. But, but I, as, as, a, as a man, as a father, wanted to build a fire, all right? All men want to play with fire. Not all men, but, but we want to play with fire. And, and so Brother Les knows it is difficult to start a fire with wet wood. It just is. You can't have wet wood and start a fire. Um, so I, recognizing that it was going to be wet that week, and, and them, the, the cabin people, having provided just... A, a huge stack of logs, thought it would be prudent to grab a few of those logs and bring them under the awning so that if it did continue to rain, at least these would start to dry out, right? So I did that. First day, I grabbed four or five of the, the choice logs and brought them in under the awning and had them there. And, and I thought, okay, great. I, I should be prepared and ready to go. And so at about the, the second day or closer to the evening, we're, we're getting around dinner time, and I thought, you know, now would be a good time for, for s'mores. The girls want to do s'mores, so we're going to do some s'mores. So I took this, this wood that looked fairly dry on the outside, and I, and I took it to the fire pit, and, and I tried to start a fire. And it was the most difficult thing that you can even imagine because that wood, wood was in no way really dry at all. It was maybe dry on the surface, so it would, it would crackle a little bit but it was not dry. And so we're, we're there, and, and I've got all the twigs, I've got all of the, I've got some newspaper, uh, I've got, you know, um, some, some trash that I can burn, 
and, and just start to fuel this thing. And so I'm getting a little bit of a flame in there, um, but I'm not getting a fire, a true fire, because there's nothing for it to consume. There's nothing for it to find purchase on. And so eventually Kelly was gonna go get some food for us um, to bring back to the cabin. I said, look, while you're there, on the way to this place, I saw um, a, a location, I guess, a store that had a lot of different things, but one of the things that it had was firewood. Stop there and ask them if they have any dry firewood. So she went, um, we FaceTimed for a little bit, and she said, the woman said, These, this pile right here is probably the driest that, that we'll get. And I said, okay, great, get it, it was five bucks. So she got it, she brought it back, and let me tell you something. That, that wood just lit up in flames like that because it was dry, because it had no moisture in it. Um, so as soon as I put it in there, man, sure enough, all the fire that was, that the, I had really just a, a pile of ash and coal there. It, there was heat, but there was no fire. As soon as I put that dry wood, man, I could just, all, I could just stack anything in there and it would have kept going. I'm, I'm telling you this, this weird story because people who have seen fire understand how it burns. Moses understood fire. He understood when he tried to cook and, and make things that you have to have dry wood. And, and when you see something dry, you know it's going to consume it like that. It's just going to burn it. So for him to look and see this bush and it not be consumed was, was a miracle to him. He's there and he's seeing this thing and it's still alive. It, it may be crackling. There might be some noise. We don't know. There could have been smoke. I don't know. But it wasn't consumed. It wasn't taken up, and it was staying there just the way that it is. And that is what caught Moses' eye, the miracle of the bush. And when he starts to get close, the Bible says that the Lord said, take off your sandals, take off your, your shoes, because the place where you're walking is holy ground. So where, when Moses went to meet God for the very first time, he recognized the things that were happening in his natural life and how they were associated to God and how different they were. To him, the mountain was a place of miracles. The, the mountain was a place of new beginnings. When Moses went to meet him for the very first time, it established something in him. And he recognized that if I want to meet with God, I have to separate myself from the valley. I've got to climb this thing. It's a very difficult climb but I've got to work to get to where I can be with God. And to be with God is, is an amazing thing, was what Moses found out. There are, miracles are happening. Lives are being changed. Things are being taken off that were not there before. That is what Moses experienced on the mountain. That is what, what he knew and understood would be a part of his life from then on. We're going to read more about Moses here in a minute, but... But I find this story important and impactful because we glance at it many times and we just say, okay, he saw the burning bush, was not consumed. He, he sits there, he talks to God. And, and I, we're not going to read the rest of it, but you should know the story about him saying, look, God, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not good at talking. I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that. And God's saying, I want to use you. I want to use you. I want to use you. And, and Moses finally recognizing what God had in store for him. So that's Moses' story. Again, we'll read a little bit more in a second. In Matthew chapter 17, we read a different story. 
obviously because it's in the New Testament. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he, was yet, while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So here we see Jesus going up to the mountain. Now, we know Jesus went up to the mountain. Jesus understood the mountain. He would go up all the time. We read a few scriptures not, not 20 minutes ago about him going to the mountain and healing happening at the mountain and establishment and authority and all that good stuff. But here we see Jesus taking with him his three disciples, or three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, his brother, and, and brought them there so that they could witness the transformation that happens when you go to the mountain. So Jesus was transfigured before them in verse 2, and his face shone, it did shine, much like what we read happened to Moses back in the day when he would go up to the mountain, visit with God, and when he came down, they asked him to put a veil on his face because his, his face was too, too bright. It was shining too much. Um, so, so Jesus is here, and, and he's, he's exemplifying that. Now, with Jesus, it took one trip. With Moses, you know, he had to go a lot. But with Jesus here, he's transfigured before them and transformed into the thing that God had called all of us to be, which is close to him in understanding. And so Jesus brings these guys, they're talking, and they see this transformation, and, and they, they, they don't know what to do. And they said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll create some tents. We'll, we'll make a little oasis for everybody to just kind of hang around. You know, we'll get some drinks. We'll, we'll talk like, like comrades, like buddies, and, and we'll just be here and listen to what it is that you have to say. Um, but while they're talking, God speaks to them, and then all this kind of just goes away immediately. And, and Jesus says, look, don't tell anybody until after I've, I've been dead and risen again. But for them, going up to the mountain then meant something. It was the first time that they had truly experienced for themselves the transformation that happens at the mountain. Before, it had been Jesus goes to the mountain and he prays. Jesus goes into the mountain and he comes back and he heals people. Jesus goes to the mountain and he establishes authority and calling and all that. But, but for us, it was Jesus doing it. Jesus, at this point in time, is teaching them that the mountain is for you as well. When you go to the mountain, you will be experiencing these things. You will be touched by God. You should be transfigured and transformed in your natural life as well as your spiritual life. That's the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach these three 
gentlemen about the mountain. And I think, I believe, that they took it to heart later on in life. Um, but we see, it's not a mountain, but we see Peter and, and, and the disciples um, in an upper room, in a high place, and, and I think it was a, a, an attempt on their behalf to be higher, to be closer to God whenever they were praying, whenever they were interceding. That's when the Holy Spirit come in, came in Acts chapter 2, right? It, it doesn't say mountain. We don't know that that's exactly what they were thinking, but I believe that they understood the concept of separating yourself in this place and, and calling unto God in order for him to come down and touch your life. So, so I believe that they understood the message that you have to fight in order to be close to God. When, when you go mountain climbing, there is a cost associated with it. I remember talking to, to Noah a while back and him telling me um, about his research that he had done into Mount Everest and how, how, much, how grueling it is to climb that mountain. I also saw a documentary after that conversation later in life uh, about how much it has changed, how much Everest and the climb to Everest has changed, that, that right now, because of the way, well, maybe not right now because of COVID, but, um, but in this day and age, it's changed um, because it's become basically a, uh, a cattle call. You, you take a number, and, and they're taking your picture at, at the peak, and then you move down, and the next person comes up. That in the past, you had to fight to climb this mountain, and, and, and many people, many people have died climbing the mountain, and, and get this, many people have died coming down from the mountain. It, it's grueling work. It's very, very hard. That, that when you go and prepare for Mount Everest, uh, there's the concept that you climb in stages, that, that you go partway up the mountain, you establish camp, uh, and then you go another portion up that mountain, and you come back down from that portion, that you have to let your body acclimate to what's going on in that mountain. Um, then when, you've, when you're back at your base camp, then you climb all the way up, uh, after you establish another base camp, you climb all the way up and finally get to, to the summit. You've got gear, you've got food, you've got all this stuff. And, and in the past, you were the one carrying it. You probably had someone with you to help uh, with the burden, but you were the one carrying all this. They, now they say that, that it's become so commercialized that, that you pay people to do all the hard work for you. And it's basically like, like glamping now. Uh, not for everybody, but, but it costs so much money you're paying someone else. They're carrying the burden. They're cooking their food. They're setting up the camp. They're telling you when to go and when to stay. They're doing all the work, and that's why it's become like this, this, this cattle call of anybody can just do it. If you have the money, anybody can now just do it. Not that people aren't still struggling and dying, but, but it's a lot easier now because someone else is doing all the work, and, it, and that's a travesty in my mind, and, and I think that goes against the very concept that Jesus was trying to teach here that when you go to the mountain, there is a cost associated with it. You, you have to fight for it. The air is so thin up there that it's very difficult to breathe. Um, there's, a, there's a funny story when uh, every year the girls sell cookies for their school. And, and many of you may have bought cookies from our girls. Um, but they're, they're frozen cookies. They're really good, but they're frozen. And, and so you buy them in these boxes at, that you have to keep in the freezer. Well, now from the school 
to us, to you, it's very difficult for us to find ways to keep all of these boxes uh, in some sort of freezer because we don't have any other freezer but our normal freezer, right? So we, in anticipation of that, we tend to eat a lot of frozen food to get, clear our freezer out. Um, graciously, we've used the, the church's freezer whenever, because you're here, whenever we are sending them to you, we can use that freezer to, to preserve it. But to get it from the school to our home or to the freezers here was, was kind of a, uh, a challenge for us. And so I, I came up with the, the bright idea of buying dry ice. Dry ice is, is carbon dioxide in frozen form, um, and, and it stays cooler longer. So you get dry ice, and you put it in a cooler, and, and it's preserved for a little while. So you've got this little mini freezer. So I bought dry ice, and I put it in a cooler, and I said, Kelly, go and pick up the, the cookies and then she's got to go back to work. So she was going to take the cookies, go back to work, but it's still, it would be kind of in a, in a freezer state. So she did that. She had the cooler. She had the, the dry ice in there, and she was going to go get the cookies. Well, she's driving with this cooler in the back of her car, and she says, I was feeling so sick. I was feeling lightheaded. I just, I couldn't think anymore. And, and she said, I, I felt like something was wrong. I called somebody. And she said, I was slurring my words. And she said, I, I just, I, I cannot breathe. And, and what we found out was that the cooler was leaking. And all of the carbon dioxide was just going into the car. And she, I, didn't realize it because it was a, a closed space. And so as she's driving, she thinks, I just need to get a breath of fresh air. And so she rolls down her window. And she said, immediately, immediately she started feeling better. So it wasn't until after all that happened uh, all that stupidity happened that we realized that it had been leaking. She was breathing basically carbon dioxide. Uh, and had she not rolled down her window, she could have very well, I laugh now, it's not funny, but she could have very well died because she was not breathing oxygen. That is what happens when you don't breathe. I, I tell you this story, I just remembered it, but I'll tell you this story because going up to the mountain has a cost associated with it uh, in the natural. When you go up, you cannot breathe. Your, your body functions begin to slowly die out because you are not in a natural state of being. Your, your natural has to die to go to the mountain. Spiritually speaking, you have to die to go to the mountain. That's, that's to me what that story, why I believe the story put that in my, why the Lord put that story in my mind. Because when you think about it, the, the cost of climbing that mountain is severe. You're either paying $50,000 or, or you're paying with your life when you go to the mountain in, in the natural. Spiritually speaking, I, I truly believe that there is just as much of a cost in, in what the Lord wants from you. So we, we enjoy the mountain. We want to go to the mountain. But a lot of times we are not prepare, prepared to fight that battle. To, to give up what it takes to be that close to God. We're going to see that here in the next story. This is the, the last story. Um, it's not the last scripture, but it is the last story about people going to the mountain. And it's found here in uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. So, so Moses has gone to the mountain 
and, and he has gotten the, he's going to get the Ten Commandments. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I came, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people might hear when I speak with you, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So Moses is going back and forth from valley to mountain, valley to mountain, from being with the people to going up into the mountain. And he's he's relaying. He's like a messenger, right? And and God says, Look, at some point in time you're gonna they're gonna see this big thick black cloud. And, and they're going to hear me rumbling and grumbling, and they're going to know that you are actually speaking to somebody. And, and that's what he tells them. Hey, by the way, when you guys see this, this cloud, that's the Lord and he's speaking to me. Verse 10, the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bonds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be a beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mountain. So he said, Look, don't let anybody touch it because they're being sanctified. If they touch it and they're not sanctified, they will die. Verse 14, And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. Verse 16, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top, um, sorry, I lost my place. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called upon Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying... Set bounds upon the mount and sanctify it. The Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and these people break through to come up to the mountain. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spoke unto them. Let's pause there for a second. Long story. Moses... I, there's a lot of context here. Moses is with God. He's talking to him. He's climbing the mountain. He's coming down from the mountain. He's climbing the mountain. He's coming down from the mountain. It, it is not a, a time where you see Moses kind of just standing on it, and he talks a little bit, and then he just kind of looks over to his left. He has to go somewhere 
for all this to happen. So, so we see the cost in Moses as he's walking and working with the Lord uh, and with the people. And, and you have to imagine how much time is going, is passing between these engagements for, for the Lord finally to say, look, I just want to talk to the people. I need them to hurry up and sanctify themselves so that we can have a conversation. And I'm not just talking to you, and then you're going 20 or 30 minutes later and talking to them, and then 30 or 20 minutes later, you're coming back up to talk to me. That's, that just takes too long, Moses. I want to speak with the people. I want to be with the people. I want the people to be ready and to come up and talk to me themselves. That is truly what God wants, is for the people to know him, to be with him, to, to be pure and clean so that they can have a relationship with him. And so he's telling him all these things. Look, don't let them touch the mountain. Don't let them come up to the mountain. He's, he's doing it in stages, like we talked about with Mount Everest. He says, okay, you go down and say this. Now, now when you go back down, bring Aaron. Okay, now when you come up, do this and that. So we see between, in chapter 19, between verses 7 and 25, all the things that Moses had to do in order to talk with God and be with God and why God would want to talk to the people. I want to come down and I want to visit with them. But in order for that to happen, they have to be sanctified. They have to be purified. They have to be set apart from their daily lives. Here we are in verse 20. I'm sorry, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. So we've skipped a bit. God is finally now at the place where he's going to come down from the mountaintop and visit with the people. All the people have been sanctified. They're ready. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness, unto the thick darkness where God was. What a travesty for Moses to fight this battle and to try to get the people of God to, to purify themselves, to be clean, to, to be righteous before his side. They, they went through three or four days of all this purification and abstinence and just preparing for God and his visit. And when they finally get there, when God finally wants to come down and speak to them, they, they get afraid that fear comes into their hearts they see this this cloud coming and they think yep not doing that not worthy not going to happen Moses you talk to God for us what a travesty for God to be right there so close and yet so far and 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 the Bible says that at the very end the people stood far off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was going up to the mountain is scary it's hard. It is something that God wants us to do, something we want to do, but many are ill-prepared to actually do. What does it take for us to hear the voice of God, to get to know God, to move forward with what God is doing and actually visit 
God in the mountain. We, we talked about preparation uh, for Mount Everest. You, you think about the preparation of the natural that it takes to climb a mountain. How much more so in the spirit does it take to climb this mountain? We are in a valley. We are ministering to the people. We, we as saints, as Christians, as, as lovers of the Lord, as sons and daughters, as people who want to establish his purpose, we are here in this valley floor preparing the people to go and speak with God. And, and yet, many will not make it because it is a difficult journey. Where, where are you? Where am I in this journey? What, what does it take for you to be the person that God has called you to be in order to visit with him on this mountain? When, when we go and, and, and attempt to climb this mountain, we, we see in Scripture what it takes, the, the purification, the righteousness, the intercession, the, the times where Jesus went up there to climb the mountain and just prayed and prayed and just submitted himself to God. We have a very clear pattern uh, that he gives us of, of understanding the fight and the battle that we're going to have to go through. The question is, are you willing to pay that cost? Are you willing to give up of yourself to go and listen to that voice? Last scripture here. We're going to end with this one. First Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So, a.k.a., I'm going to kill you, is what he said. It's a strange time for someone to walk in. But he said that, right? She said, I'm going to kill you. And when he saw that, he arose, Elijah, and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. So he's in the wilderness, and he wants to die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat, and he drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and did eat and drank. And went in the strength of, the, of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. He came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in entering in of the cave. In the entering in of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And then the Bible goes on, and Elijah talks to God, and they have their conversation, 
and, and all is well, and, and, and Elijah's mantle is passed down to a new generation. Elijah wants to die. He, he is being pursued by Jezebel. She said, I'm going to kill you. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't handle this. He goes off into the wilderness, and, and he is preserved by God through an angel who gives him food and sustenance, food and, and, and a cake, um, bacon on coals, um, to, to live for 40 days and 40 nights until he can journey to the mountain. 40 days and 40 nights he travels from the wilderness to the mountain. That he knows that's where he needs to go. He knows that's the only place that he's going to hear from God. And, and so he, he uses that journey in order to purify himself and get to the place where he can actually meet with God. It is a long journey, 40 days and 40 nights. feels like, like what we've been going through with this quarantine, 40 years, um, 40 months. But, but as he's doing this, he, he is in kind of introspection mode. He's looking at himself and saying, you know, what is, what is going on? What, what is it that I believe? Why isn't the Lord preserved us or taking care of this or taking care of that? So when he finally gets there, he recognizes when God does speak to him. He's not in the wind. He's not in the, uh, the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He shows up as a still, small voice. And, and isn't it just like God to go beyond our expectations, to, to go outside of what we think should be happening and instead show up in a different way? I would have expected, had I been in Elijah's shoes, for, for that wind that rent the mountains to be the voice of God. I would have expected, having heard the stories of Moses, for him to be in the fire, having consumed or not consumed a bush, but being present there. I would have expected for God to be in the earthquake, the shaking of the world, the, the voice and the hand of God touching this land. That's what I would have expected. But, but Elijah, having gone this, these 40 days and 40 nights and really listening, trying to listen to the voice of God, recognizing he wasn't in any of that. He just wanted to talk to him. I just need you to listen to me, Elijah. Just, we need to have a conversation. And it's not these mighty miracles that I'm going to do it through. It's through you and me speaking. But it took Elijah this, this journey in order for him to really get to a place where he could hear that. So where are you in this journey? Where, where are we going as, as a people, as a saints network, as, as, we, as we travel into these valleys and then climb the mountain. It, it is a difficult journey. I think the, the thing that, that I want to share the most in this message, in this, this Sunday school teaching, is recognize and understand that it is a battle to go to the mountain. It is hard to be with God. And, and so as much as you are struggling either with your relationship with the Lord or, or your relationship with this world and, and how difficult it is to live in it. All these things that are happening out there right now um, with, with, the, with the pandemic and, and the murder hornets and, and the, the, the movements that are going on, the injustice that's on, going on in this world, everything that's happening right now in this world and as difficult as it is to live in this world, recognize that, that God is here for you and that it is meant to be a struggle. I remember early on in, in my, um, my pastor days when, when I was first 
hearing stories and, and gathering things to, to be able to come up here and teach and to talk about um, hearing the, the story of the butterfly. You all know the story of the butterfly and, and how when it comes out of its, its cocoon, its chrysalis, that it has to struggle to expand its wings, that it has to fight in order for, for it to, to dry off from inside that cocoon, for, for its wings to, to begin to strengthen so that it can fly. Uh, all the, the battle that the, the butterfly has to go through once it comes out of its cocoons, I'm sorry, its caterpillar stage, um, prepare it for living in this world. And if you, at any point in time, attempt to help the butterfly, um, if you cut the cocoon, if you spread it out for him, if you take the, the butterfly and just put it in the sun, it damages it. It needs the struggle. It has to fight in order for it to live. I remember hearing that story very early on and it being impactful on me as a young preacher. And I believe that story is just as impactful today. We struggle in this life, but it only makes us stronger. So what are you struggling with? Recognize that it is your, your journey to the mountain and that when you get there, miracles are waiting. I think that's the message that God wants us to hear. It's a struggle now, but there's miracles waiting. So, Father, I just I want to thank you for all that you have done for us this season, for the struggles that we're going through and, and the journey that we, that we battle in order to get where we're going. Lord, we, we look forward to being in your mountain. We, we recognize the valley that we're in. We recognize that the, the ministry happens down here as we're talking to the people Lord, we want to be in the mountain, but we know that we have a responsibility here in the valley. Father, as we struggle between the two, as we fight and we go back and forth, I pray that you will just bless us, that you will strengthen us. For those, Lord, that feel like Elijah, that I just can't do this anymore. I, I, can't, I can't go through this battle, Father. It's just too hard. I pray that you strengthen them now. Lord, those that are hearing this message that just don't think they can make it, encourage them. Give them that sustenance that they need to make it the 40 days and the 40 nights. Show them the miracles that are going to happen when they get to your mountain, when they are touched and listen to your voice. Father, we just thank you for preserving us. We thank you for being with us during this time. We love you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. God bless you. Um, normally, in Sunday school, there's a, there's a time for questions. Um, so I guess we'll stop the recording, and if anybody has any comments or questions, we'll, we'll open it up for that.